24 hours to live, 24 hours to live, what would you do? Uh, when I was a child, when I was a kid, a little baby, uh, if someone asked me that question, I would have wanted to fly a jet, like by myself. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have 24 hours, I think. I probably just fly it and crash, but it's okay. When I was a teenager, I probably would have wanted to surf the perfect wave or play drums for the Smashing Pumpkins. Um, now that I'm an adult, now that I'm an adult, I would want to spend my last day on earth with my wife and my kids and the rest of my family. Here's the thing, guys. Uh, what I'm about to, to talk to you guys about today is about Jesus and him washing his disciples' feet. So Jesus knew that he only had 24 hours to live. And what did he do? He chose to wash his disciples' feet. Let that sink in. And then I want you guys to, to do an exercise with me. I want you guys to close your eyes. And I'm going to read to you this beautiful story. Not just a story like a fairy tale, but this actually happened. It happened to me, not by Jesus, but by fellow youth people. We went on a mission trip and we washed each other's feet in the, the dirt floor of a Hogan. Where's Pastor Jake? Is Pastor Jake here? It's the Navajo people. It's their, their big um, building, essentially. And it was the most beautiful thing that I've ever been a part of. So close your eyes and listen to this. This comes from John chapter 13. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew he was going, who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so. For that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Let's pray. Father God, Holy Spirit, please be with me. Lord, give me the words to speak this message 
to my beloved church this morning. Thank you for your humility. Please humble me as I preach your word today. Father, convict us, spur us, propel us forward. Thank you for your great love and your grace that we don't deserve. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so this morning, I want to talk to you guys about a very, very simple thing. And I think it's obvious by what I just read. I want to talk to you guys about serving. Not just service, like the morning service that we're having here, but serving one another, okay? Serving each other. The kind of service that I'm going to talk about costs something. It involves love. And it's the kind of love that can bring glory to the only one who actually deserves it. The kind of love that, that prompts us, that shakes us to our core, compels us, and draws us toward people in need. Guys, I, I don't want to stand up here and rebuke you as my first day on the job as <laughs> assistant pastor. And it's assistant pastor, not assistant to the pastor, so let's get that right. This kind of love is supposed to, to spur us. It's, you know what a spur is, right? It's a, something that cowboys wear, and it's a star-shaped thing. It's a piece of metal, and you hit the horse, and the horse he goes. That's what I want for you guys this morning. I want it to spur you guys on to push toward people who are in need. I'm talking about the orphan. I'm talking about the widow, the sinner, the outcast. I'm talking about the child who is from a divorced family. I'm talking about the divorced families. This is who I'm talking about. If we practice this kind of sacrificial, servant-hearted love, we become more and more like Jesus. When Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, he was going so far off script that they were saying things like, you are never going to do this to me, Lord, never! Because Jesus was doing the work of a slave, a doulos. That's how you pronounce it, David, doulos. It's a Greek word, and it means slave. You guys ever heard of a doula? Someone who assists in childbirth? That's a slave. It's a servant. This, Jesus was doing the job of someone so low that they couldn't stand it and bear it. Jesus was their master, their rabbi, their everything. And it was like literally unthinkable for someone of, of the prestige of someone of Jesus' stature to be doing this kind of thing. It was, it was shameful even. That's why Peter reacted the way he did. But Jesus was simply doing what, the, what his father does. And his father, the God that we serve, the God who created you, is one that washes feet. Every other religion in this world is all about being the greatest and the best, and God is the greatest and the best, but he has also sent his son down to earth not to be king and have people put crowns on him and give him riches. He put him on this earth so that he can wash his disciples' feet, the job of a slave, and then die on a cross for us. That's the kind of God that created you and you and you and you and you. So Jesus was simply doing what, what he saw his father do. He, he shares his father's essence, okay? John 
uh, uh, says this. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. And I know this so intimately well. I don't know if you've ever met my twin. Her name is Ruby. <laughs> I've always said that like having, having a daughter that has the, 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 the mind and the heart and the passion of Ruby is like holding up a mirror to yourself. She, there's this thing that I do, and it's very embarrassing, but when I get frustrated, like I have two iPads here, and I'm probably going to get frustrated with it, and I make this noise, I go, Ugh! You guys know that noise? You'll hear Ruby do it. You'll hear Isabel do it too because what they see in me, they also do, and it's shameful. I don't like that that happens, but it's so true. Jesus looks at the Father, and the Father doesn't go, oh, I have to wash everyone's feet. The Father gets on his knees and actually does it. That's what Jesus is seeing. That's what, what we're supposed to see. My prayer today is that you would be prompted, convicted, and encouraged and challenged to put the skin of Jesus on and humble yourself in the service of people. That we would see what our Father does and do the same. Amen? Amen. That we, the elders, pastors, counselors, leaders of our church, would be an example to you on how to live. We have this, this book here, Scripture. tells us everything we need to know about God. Jesus, the Lord, put us in communities of people for a reason. We are around each other to spur each other on. I, I, I just have this, this belief and this feeling that, that we've been complacent for too long. How many times have I been guilty of checking the box? It's Sunday. I went to church. I got up early, and I'm here, and I'm in my Sunday best, and then I go home, and we have lunch. Gosh, I've done that so many times especially when it's your job. The most fun part of my job is hanging out with these kids. And some, some Sundays, you know, it, it may seem like it's just like, okay, let's, let's get through this Sunday. Like we are worshiping the Lord and that's very serious and I always take it seriously, but sometimes I'm just like thinking about where we're going to get lunch. And I know you guys, I mean, come on. I, I usually eat my lunch at 11 o'clock, so... Uh, you know, sometimes here I get a little too hungry and that's all I think about. It's, it's called being hangry. <laughs> so so we, we want to be an example to you guys on how to live, okay? Jesus humbled himself before being humiliated. So how can we humble ourselves in the, in the service of others? He washed the feet of his disciples in response to his great love for us. If a Lord or Master does this for his pupils, how then should we respond? You see, the mission of this church, Metal Ark Church here, is to make disciples. To see people transform to people who are more and more and more like Jesus. And there are many ways in this mission, in ways this mission is carried out. And one of them, I think the biggest thing, is through service. Read this with me. 1 John 13, 18 says, Dear children, let us not love with actions, I'm sorry, with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said read this with me. <laughs> but we should. We should say this out loud together, but with actions and in truth. That should be our mantra. Love is a verb, guys. 
It's the expression of love that's acted out. In washing their feet, Jesus is acting out a literal parable for his disciples. He's acting out a parable of his own humiliation and death. He is showing his students how God loves them. It's not a selfish or self-centered love. It's a selfless love. See, Jesus was a youth pastor. I don't know if you guys ever know, like, figured that out, but Jesus was a youth pastor. The disciples were young kids. And a way, a, a good way to teach young children is through object lessons, right? To act it out for them. And this is exactly what Jesus was doing in washing his disciples' feet. He was showing, gosh, guys, the Father that knows me is God. He created everything, but He's someone who will wash feet. He's someone who is humble and lowly and has a servant heart. And this is what you should do as well. Jesus' death on the cross was sacrificial. We all understand that. He died in place of us. We actually deserve the death, and he is a sacrificial lamb. This sacrificial love is an example for how we should live. Tiffany corrected me. No, this is an example of how we should die. The idea that we should die to ourselves and serve others. I can't imagine what it was like to, to be Jesus, to literally have like the power of Zeus at his fingertips. He was there at creation. And, and to just, you know, take off his outer garments, put a towel around his waist, and wash his disciples' feet. Like, I, I can't imagine what that would be like. So we're going we're gonna to go through it. And these, these, uh, these next slides are kind of hilarious because they're so small. So let's, let's pretend that's not there. I'm going to put it. It's even smaller. <laughs> it's like, zoom out. Yeah, that's, that's what we're doing. Okay, so, so that's going to be there for your reference. I'm going to sort of go through this. My, my purpose in, in talking to you this morning is to teach you what has been happening, Okay. So verse 1, this is before the Passover. This, there's so much symbolism in when Jesus chose to do this. You guys know the story of Passover. They put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost, and the angel of death passed over them when they were slaves in Egypt. Okay, there's, Ask me about it later. I don't really have time to get into it. Okay, so verse 2, they were in the middle of eating their meal. And John includes that part about the devil prompting Judas to betray Jesus. Jesus knew this. He was not unaware, okay? And I'm going to spend a little time focusing on that part. The part about Judas, his enemy. Are you listening? How easy it to, is it to love someone you like? To love your friends by doing nice things for them, by helping them move, Laney. To buy them food. Or how easy is it to love your boyfriend or your girlfriend? To go on dates, write love letters, etc. Or to love your kids, like most of the time. Uh, to dote on them, to take care of their every need. Um, is it sometimes kind of hard to love people that are mean? People that have wronged you? That have literally hurt you? Now how hard is it to actually love your enemy? See, Judas was Jesus' actual enemy, yet he still washed his feet. When Jesus was hanging on the cross after being broken and beaten and humiliated, he said, Father, strike them down! Father, I need recompense! No. What did he say? He said, Father, forgive them. 
for they know not what they do. If love is sacrificial, doing these lovely things are so much more harder, I would say impossible to do for your enemy. So many students come to me for advice on how to deal with like all the drama in their life. And uh, sometimes they don't like the answers. My answer usually is like, hey, go talk to them. Why are you talking to me? Go speak to them. Work it out. The answer that scripture gives us to people who are enemies is to pour hot coals over them. Proverbs says, if your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. Your enemy. If your enemy is hungry, give him food. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on their head, and the Lord will reward you. So that's the scene. Jesus has washed the feet of his enemy, Judas. Still with his enemy present, Jesus washed it anyways. He got up, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a bucket, and began to do the job of a slave. This is an act of love. In uh, this book of John, John chapters 1 through 12, that's 12 chapters for the math majors out there, uh, love is mentioned only six times. Isn't that unbelievable? In chapters 13 through 17, that's four, love is mentioned 31 times. Like, how crazy is that? In four chapters, it's mentioned 31 times. And this is towards the end, folks. Like, this is the end of Jesus' life. God is really trying to tell us something, isn't he? We need to love our enemies and serve them sacrificially. Now, I don't, this is not the whole point of this sermon. The whole point isn't for you guys to go out and, you know, talk to your ex-best friend and be like, I want to serve you. How can I, can I bring you lunch or something today? Maybe Chick-fil-A because it's Sunday. Ha ha. Just kidding. <laughs> don't do that. That's not the point of this. The, the point of, of this sermon this morning is to get you guys in the mode of service. I want to serve with you guys. I've served with these kids many, many times now. There are many of you adults here that I know you guys have loved me and my family so well, and I love you. But there's something about serving together that makes you love someone even more. These students can attest to that. I took them on their first mission trip in April. And the bonds that we've made there are unbreakable now. It's quite unbelievable that when you serve together, you create these bonds. They always say, when you serve someone else, you get so much more out of it. And it's not a selfish thing. It's just a matter of fact. It's a fact of life. And I want to serve with you people. What that looks like, I don't know. I know that many of you guys have been Christians for decades, and you guys have connections somewhere. And I want to know about those connections, and I want to do something together. Okay? The white hair on your head or your crappy knees are no excuse. Sorry. It came out, and I was saying, I was like, oh, don't say that word. Okay. Um, that's no excuse, okay? We all have the energy, and I know that we can do it, or you can serve in other ways, too. So the lesson of, of what Jesus was doing to Judas is to love our enemies and serve them sacrificially, even though it's hard, even though it hurts, and this is the example Jesus gave us. This is what the gospel is, guys. This is grace. Grace is getting something that we don't deserve. Judas was prompted by the devil. He was going to do it at that moment. And Jesus loved him anyways. 
He, gave, he served him even though he didn't deserve it. How many times have, has that happened in our life? Where we've received blessings from God and we felt like, ooh, I did not deserve that. Why was I so, you know, I, to use the phrase lucky. And luck has nothing to do with it. It's all about who God is and he is full of grace. So my prayer is that you guys will be challenged to serve others, to not be self-centered navel-gazers, to go out and do. So read on in verse 6. He says, He came to Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Now, Peter's something else, isn't he? Like, he's the guy who walked on water for a moment, but lacked the face, right? He tried to kill a high priest's servant. He, like, took out a sword, like, out of nowhere. <laughs> like, Jesus was like, whoa, whoa, and he cut off the dude's ear. All four of the gospel accounts, okay, so there's four gospels in the beginning of the New Testament. Every single one of them tells of Peter's denial of Jesus. You know Peter is this kid who's like, who's like so enthusiastic about his love for Jesus. And then Jesus is like, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter, just like here, he's like, that'll never happen. And then it happens, like, just like that. And every gospel writer put that in there. And I think it's to, 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 to encourage us because I don't know about you, but when I was first, like, first became a Christian, I was like super enthused about Jesus. Not that I'm not now, but like, you know, when you're a baby Christian, you're like, hey, have I told you about Jesus yet? <laughs> and your friends are like, leave me alone, you know? So you're super enthused. This is what Peter was like. And even though he had so much zeal, he still lacked this faith because what Peter was doing here when he said, no, you shall never wash my feet, it may seem like he has all this love for Jesus, but it's selfish. He didn't want to see his master stoop to another level because it reflected poorly on him. That's my belief. Peter lacked humility. He was prideful, which is at the heart of all sin. How many times do we do something terrible and it's because we have so much pride in our gut? We don't want to admit that we were wrong. Gosh, that happens to me all the time. We can't let pride get in the way of how and when God wants to use us to serve his creation. Jesus wanted to serve and be an example and Peter was literally having none of it. Guys, I see myself so much in that little section, do you? In verse 7, um, he says something. Jesus says, he's like, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. He, he completely understood that what he was doing was, was pretty scandalous and mystifying, right? But... Like, the obvious example of what he was doing was humility, right? Like, getting down on your knees and washing the disciples' feet. That was, that was an obvious example of what humility is. But like most things Jesus did, they didn't really fully understand this event unless it was coupled with the cross and his resurrection, right? In verse 8, it says, No, you shall never wash my feet. And then Jesus says something. He says, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. 
If Peter wants inheritance, he must be washed by Jesus. And then in verse 9, he says, uh, Lord, just not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. So he shows his love, but again, it's flawed. There's a strong element of self in what Peter is doing. He's not simply receiving with humility what Jesus is saying and doing. Peter is really an example of religious enthusiasm rather than genuine discipleship. This is what I was talking earlier. When I was a baby Christian, when I was very, very new, that was an example of just me being motivated. Because I heard the gospel, I was transformed, I received the Holy Spirit, and I was just super stoked. But it's not genuine discipleship. This is what we're doing here at this church. We don't want to be a million miles wide and an inch deep. We want to be at the deep end of the pool. We want to actually create disciples because this is an example of a true disciple, someone who will just accept what Jesus is doing. Now I've gotten so like good at it that when something amazing happens to me, I remind myself, I just said, to God be the glory. Thank you, Lord. How many times have we prayed for something? We're like, Lord, please let this happen. Lord, please rescue me. And then it happens, and then we don't even thank the Lord. How many times does that happen? It's happened to me so many times, and I have to stop myself and realize, like, I need to give God the glory. I need to remember, I asked for this, and he gave it, and I didn't deserve it. My prayer is that you guys would do that, too. So I'm, I'm sort of skipping a few passages. In verse 12 to 13, he reiterates his position in the universe. I hope you guys have your Bibles. <laughs> verse 14, um, he instructs them to do as he did. Okay, as he did. He was not instituting another sacrament. We don't do communion and then baptism and then foot washing. That's just not something that we do. He was giving us a real life example of humble service. This was really hard for his disciples to, to take. It was hard for them to, to see it and to understand what was happening and to even accept it. Because these young men saw Jesus as something greater than just the God of the universe. They didn't even know that. He was their rabbi. And their rabbi was telling them to serve one another. Rabbis were like rock stars. They didn't want or have to do much of anything. Their pupils did the dirty work, but Jesus was flipping that script. We are called to pass on this same teaching, this revolutionary idea that leaders lead by serving. This is like an illustration, a personification of the selfless love of God. In one of the commentaries I read, it said, the community Jesus brought into being is to manifest the love of God that he has revealed through serving one another with no vestige of pride or position. There will be recognized positions of leadership within the new community, but the exercise of leadership is to follow his model of servanthood. So to, to do a Cliff Notes version of that, Jesus brought this new community, and this new community was modeled after servanthood. The Jews, when they thought of the Messiah, they didn't think of him as what Jesus actually was. They thought he was going to be riding on a white horse and killing all the enemies. And Jesus came to earth and was born in a manger. Like they thought he was going to come down like a rocket and make everything that was wrong in the world because everyone was against the Jews. And Jesus came as something completely and totally different. 
This changed the world. There's a reason why we are talking about this today in 2019. Have you guys ever thought of that? So many miraculous things had to have happened for us to have this here in our hands. It's a miracle. That's the only way that I can describe it. Jesus was ushering in this new way of thinking, this new way of having community. Back then, everything was all hierarchical. I'm glad I said that. Good job. Everything was, was set up in, you know, like a ladder kind of formation, and Jesus was saying things that were just completely revolutionary. He's like, no, it's not a ladder. It's, it's a flat plane. You think that the first will be first. No, the last shall be first. This is what he was saying. Guys, the, the whole point of this, this passage, the whole point of me talking to you guys this morning is to understand this very thing. That the gospel is a life to be lived and not just an ideal to be contemplated. Jesus didn't do this, and this wasn't recorded by the gospel writers just because it was poetic and beautiful, though it is those things. He did this because this is a practical example on how to live. It's a life to be lived and not just something to be thinking about. When I was in college, me and my friends um, would get together sometimes after uh, a long semester, and we'd go out, and um, most of my friends were Korean, so we'd go out to um, this place called OB Chicken, and it was Korean fried chicken. Have you guys ever had Korean fried chicken? It's, it's like, you know, you could put any sort of ethnicity before fried chicken, and I'm in, you know, so <laughs> I could have Ethiopian fried chicken and, you know, whatever. Um, but Korean fried chicken is absolutely delicious. I think it's like twice or triple fried or something like that. It's like super, super crispy. So anyways, I'm getting hungry. I'm sorry, I'm talking about food. <laughs> so what we would do is we would get together, and we would go to this place, Obi Chicken. We'd have a pint of brew, and we'd have our Korean chicken, and we'd talk theology. Never in my life did I ever think that I would be doing something like that. I'm not a drinker, so my friends were like, let's go drink beer. And I'm like, ah, okay, sure. I was there for the fellowship in the community. And what we did is we talked about God, and I just never believed and imagined that my life would end up like that. <laughs> and this is, this is what I'm saying is that, that when we got together, we talked about God, we talked about Jesus, we talked about the gospel. And what was amazing about those times is that we didn't just sit there and talk. That's not all we did. Each of us were, were plugged into a local church and we did service. And it's through our conversations about theology and God that spurred us on to actually go and do something. Guys, if you, if you take this book and you read it and you just go to your little Bible study or prayer group and you read this thing and you don't do anything about it, if these words in this book doesn't spur you on to do something immediately, gosh, I would ask for the Holy Spirit in your life right now. Because if you don't read this and you just don't go, I want to do this! I want to serve in any way that I can. This is the purpose of this. The gospel is a life to be lived, not just an ideal to be contemplated. I don't want to spend too much time on that. Jesus was using this object lesson to penetrate through to the heart of his disciples. He needed to do this for them to understand because they were kind of a dumb bunch, to be honest. 
there are so many things that happened right before their eyes and they still didn't understand and some of them still didn't believe very well. How many times do I wish I can transport some of these students back in time to see that Jesus actually existed and actually lived for them to get through to them that, yes, Jesus is real. But I can't. He left us this scripture. Guys, if you read this and you don't get spurred on, I'm going to pray for you. (laughs) This is what we should do with these words. We should actually be spurred on to do something. So does God use things or events like this to shake us from our complacency? Or how about our fears and our anxieties? I'm going to close with this question. Is God using this, this passage in Scripture, to change something in your life? 